0: Hello, hello, lovely listeners. I have done something completely left field when I recently reconnected with a former boss of mine because actually I shared something on LinkedIn, like a big learning moment, a big juicy learning moment with something that I learned from her. And we had a catch-up call and I thought it would just be so fun to bring her on the podcast as an example of, firstly, how much our managers can impact us, as an example of being a working mum, Jenny has three I mean I just dropped a name already which is (laughs) yeah I'm gonna let her introduce herself but as an example of being a working mum and setting boundaries around time that I think so many of us are afraid to do and also evolving your career writing books and doing so much I mean it's so exciting to think what you've done in the is it 10 years since we worked together or even more I think it's more Oh no, I think it's 10 years. It's actually 10 years. So anyway, I'll stop rambling. Jenny, hi, welcome. Introduce yourself.
1: Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting me to be on, Vicky. It's a complete pleasure. And also thank you for uh, for name referencing me in that amazing LinkedIn article. It was great. So yeah, so Vicky and I worked together, I'm going to say, I think it was 2010, actually, or maybe 2012. Yeah, so probably about 10, I think 10 years is being kind, maybe <laughs> a bit longer than that. But I've been in the city since 1990, actually. I'm an actuary. Um, I moved over to asset management in the late 1990s always on the sales and client service side and I that's when I met Vicky working with her and I had a bit of a life event in 2015 when I was very ill and I fortunately she made a good recovery but it was one of those life-changing moments my three kids are still quite young and it made me think about purpose a lot more And what do I want to be when I grow up? And if I'm not grown up now, then there's actually a chance I may never get there. So maybe think much more about that. And it took me a while to work out what that was. COVID helped. And I've now really changed how I spend my life. And I have a, a, a very interesting working life. It's definitely portfolio style. I have a conventional one and a half day a week job, but on top of that, I've built my own business called Speaking With Images. And I am building up a portfolio of non-executive directorships. Yes, so cool. I reckon people even listening to you are like, wait,
0: you can get a job for one and a half days a week. Like Even that is probably blowing their mind because it's not something that we see out there um, so much, but it's something that you created. So what would you say to anyone listening who's like, wait, I thought my only option was to work like five days or maybe even four days or zero days?
1: Well, I would say that I was very lucky. I don't think there are many of these kind of jobs around. And it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a really interesting job. It's a chief investment officer role of a, a, of a foundation. So it's a proper job. And it just so happens that they wanted someone part-time. It wasn't me going to them and saying, can I have a part-time job? It was them advertising it as a part-time role. Mm. So I was very lucky actually to be, to be able to be offered the position. And um, I was offered the position really through my network. Yeah. And I think one of the things that will probably come out is the power of, of the network yeah. from, from our conversation, which is really why Vicki and I are talking today, actually, the power of network.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's even go straight there, because I, I do think it's funny when we say like it's lucky, but then we break down why actually you created that luck. And I think this is the huge point is not just the power of network, but me and you have spoken offline about this. I think everyone has a better network or like everyone has a network, but are you willing to speak to that network? Are you willing to like check in with that network? As I've been moving my business, as you know, to B2B and, you know, bringing coaching into companies, I've literally connected with people that were childhood friends that I've not spoken to for 20 years. that I met once on summer camp when I was 15. Like I really realized like our network is not just about who we know, it's about who we're willing to speak to. So can you speak to, your yeah.
1: I think that's really true Vicky and I think one of the things I was respected and admired about you was your authenticity and we talk a lot about authenticity today it's become a new buzz thing although quite how we expected to be authentic and bring us our, our true selves to work yet at the same time there are lots of things you're not allowed to say for fear of political correctness it's a kind of it's one of those tautology really things isn't it it's not you can't really do both but your authenticity and and because of if you're authentic You form good relationships that are real and are based from strong foundations in a good place. You build trust based relationships. And I've always been a big fan of that, of being true to myself, true to who I am, and forming real relationships with people that aren't based, that aren't transactional. And because we both come from a client facing sales environment, nobody likes being sold to. Nobody does you don't you know you, you, it's all it's all it's all about what, what we what we crave what we want is someone who understands us and understands what our needs are and will only tell us about something if it's something we genuinely need and you think about when you when you're thinking about where you get your advice from we we go to our trusted friends. And someone might be trying to flog us a product, but we'll actually get you know, the, the latest mobile phone. Like, what you want to do is speak to your friend who's good at mobile phones and say, which one should I get? And it's like it's sort of like that with your with the relationships. I think relationship capital is the most important thing for your career. It's to actually have those really strong, genuine, trust built relationships because then we go the extra mile. It stops being business; it's beyond that. If you think about when your phone goes you're in the middle of something and you look and see who's ringing and the question is who does it have to be for you to say okay i'm going to take that call and you know if it's an oid if it's a no no caller id forget it but you 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 can almost think of concentric circles of of relationships and clearly there's a point at which you will you will not take that call there's a point at which you will drop what you're doing and you take that call and and we will go the extra distance for our friends. And uh, you'll just stop, you just, you'll go out, the way. and we all know who our in circle of friends are. And it's the same with your business contacts as well. And knowing the people who've got your back and when will really help you and, and almost be natural mentors for you. And that couldn't be more important, I think, in, in trying to, in, in advancing your career. Yes,
0: agreed, um, absolutely agreed. Um, Another fun thing, just as I'm thinking back to our memories together, one of my favourite things that we used to do together was go and walk around Green Park at lunchtime. Do you remember?
1: I do remember, yes. (laughs) I do remember.
0: at the time, I don't know for you, but for me, it was like, I mean, I wanted to walk, I wanted exercise, and I loved, you know, the company and talking with you. But I think there were so many additional benefits to that, that like, I hadn't intended before we came in, like the deepening of our relationship, like the deepening of trust. And even thinking back to one time when there was like some office drama with someone who I was like a bit friendly with, and you said to me, Vicki, I would remove yourself from that situation that's about to blow up, which me like being young and naive was like, everybody's amazing. Um, and I'm so grateful for you for being willing um, to say that. And I think part of the reason you're willing to say that and almost risk whatever, you know, you didn't know how I'd react to that is because of like the deepening, the deeper relationship we've created by just going on walks and talking together. Like it wasn't a formal manager review it was genuinely we both liked walking we both wanted to get outside the office in the middle of the day and I think there were so many benefits to that what do you think
1: yeah I think that's right I think that, that again it comes down to the the genuineness of the relationship mm-hmm. the authenticity of the relationship and I, I guess it's an interesting one isn't it because again there's lots of talk about diversity and we all know that diversity is important in making in, in in, in decision-making, in, 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 but at the same time, we have a natural tendency to look after our own and to, and, and to be attracted to people who are more like us. And one of the things I think is, and I, you know, I'm, I'm gonna nail my colour to the master there, I was very anti-Brexit, so apologies to any Brexiteers who are listening in, but I was. And one of the things for me is that we are tribal, people are tribal. And we're tribal because it comes from where we've evolved. We've evolved in the Savannah to look after our own group of people. And if you're not in our, your group, you're competing for the same resources. And so t- the way I translate that into, into sort of current day thinking is that the bigger our tribe is, the less threatened we are. We're not. If we, we're le- there's less likely to be conflict with people who are in your tribe. So why we would create divisions? And you see this wherever you go. You know, do you live north? We're, we live in the London. You live in the north. there's a demand you're north of the river I'm south of the river you support and I'm going to show my ignorance here of football teams but you support Arsenal I support Tottenham you know it's all and then suddenly we're instead of being on the same side we're on different sides Uh, and I think that the that if you think about that in a work context that if we can if we can celebrate our if we can stress our similarities as well as celebrating our differences then we can extend our tribe and we will look after each other more Mm -hmm. and we will have Better and stronger relationships, and more people looking out for us and watching our backs, and and, and I think you get better business outcomes like that as well. That you have, if people enjoy coming to work, and there's been lots of research on this about the power of workplace friends, and one of the one of the fallouts from lockdown is that people have lost, unless they had them pre-lockdown, people have lost workplace friends, and and they they enjoy work less, and they deliver less at work as a result of that. So the if we can what we can do to enhance those the strength of those bonds is is really important and additive to businesses
0: Mm. yes I completely agree and it's interesting actually someone added me to like this coach friends group the other day um, but she's based in the US and one of the things she said was like walking and talking like getting on the phone with someone and just like chatting about whatever you want to chat and it did make me think about you know what we were doing when we worked together and the the idea that like even as we're doing remote work what's going to stop us from actually having that conversation one
1: of the one of the the things I've been thinking about a lot actually is about rekindling about people having fun at work because I think a lot of the fun has gone out of work people have forgotten that you can actually have fun at work and and that we We produce the best work when we're having fun. We're at our most creative. And I've been thinking about ways that we can bring creativity back into the workplace. And thinking about who do we, who knows us? Again, back to this idea of authenticity. And and when you interact, I've been thinking about people like onions. I'm not sure this is the best in gene. I'm still kind of playing with it. But when you meet someone as an adult, two adults meeting together, you see the brown, outer, papery, rough at. uh, coat that we've developed over the years the, to, you know, to keep us safe uh, and that's all you see but when we interact with someone we were at school with you it's straight to the juicy inner bit of the onion we know each other inside out you can have a much closer relationship so how is it we can peel back the layers of the onion so that we can interact with each other less in a less guarded way on a more authentic way and we can get better creativity out of that as well because it's you're kind of tapping into i don't want to say childish because it's not childish but childlike behavior and that's important because that's where the creativity comes from and you get better innovation at work and better friendships forming as well i think this is all good for motivation at work
0: yeah i completely agree and also i read this um this study recently that was showing how it actually also managers that uh, are open about their you know their fails their deficiencies like what they've done wrong what they've done wrong along the way like that's a huge um hugely positive leadership skill I think is the right thing or tactic um but so many managers are so afraid to be vulnerable to take out the outer casing of the onion, and they think like it has to be all round. and that I think has a huge impact on team loyalty and relationships and I mean Again, the fact that me and you still speak, the fact that you are on this podcast, I just think it's important too. and and also I think the fact that I was able to go into my own business and take risks and and fail because one of my mentors, someone I looked up to, was very honest with me about the reality of life and work and it's never easy and, you know, all these ideals that I think I've been taught in school of like you have this one career and that's how you create success versus I kind of feel like with you it was like a real time hack you get, getting access to your brain your experience like an honest account instead of the outer layer of the onion image
1: yeah I've never been into 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 uh, I guess this is a sugar coating about anything about work or certainly about motherhood as you know <laughs> and the and the issues around that i i i think there's too much of that that goes on and and maybe that's been to my detriment in some ways but i also think that you know you can you can play things safe where you can take risks in life and in business and i, I think about this on the you know are you are you grey or are you black or you white you white and if you're grey it's kind of playing it safe but and and no one's gonna love you and no one's gonna hate you. And as soon as you step away from that safe zone you're taking risks because you're putting yourself out and you're being something that's not the you know that's the tail of one and one end and the other. And therefore you're exposing yourself and you are going to attract people who think you're amazing. You're gonna attract people who think you're you know you're gonna create adverse reactions as well and if you're going to if you're going to stick your neck out you have to be prepared for both you have to be and develop a thick skin as well yeah you know, for, the, for the criticism
0: yes and speaking of sticking your neck out I think to no surprise I definitely want to speak about what I shared on LinkedIn on this episode because that was such a brain-breaking moment <laughs> <laughs> so just so everyone knows we worked together at, in an asset management house and one day out of nowhere. The whole company got an email saying we were required to be in from 8am instead of 9am. Full stop. End of email. (laughs) Um, How did you feel when you got that email?
1: My heart sank, actually, to be honest, because the way I think about things is and, and actually hybrid has been fantastic for this is I I. I guess I'm possibly slightly unconventional. I think, and I I work. I never stop working, and I work at odd times in odd places. And I've in the sort of work that we do, it's not where you work or when you work. And I do my best thinking when I'm out for a run, or I'm in the shower, or I'm doing digging up weeds in the garden, or you know wherever you have an idea, and that's when it sparks. I always liken it to when you're looking at the stars. And if you try and look straight on at a star, you can't see its light. It's when you're not looking at it, you notice it as the corner of your eye, that's when it comes. So this idea that you have to be at your desk at 8 o'clock, you're only working when you're at your desk, to me is ludicrous. Fair enough, if you're a trader and you need to be in when Hong Kong's live, of course, no question. But that is not what we were doing. We were client facing people. Our clients didn't need us to be in for 8 a.m. And if they did, of course we'd be in, no question asked. If there was a client breakfast, of course, a client event, of course we would be in. But for me at the time, I'm trying to remember how old my children were. They were probably one, I'm going to say, one, six, and seven. Yeah. And I had childcare in place, me and my husband, where well, we were both working, and we had. A nursery that opened when it opened we had school that opened when it opened we had a nanny but one of us needed to do the drop-off for the, for the for the nursery and one of us needed to do the drop-off for the school and there so there were actual hard limits of when you could get to the office it depended on when the nursery opened and then it depended on whether the northern line was working and that meant that on a good day I could get in at 10 to 9 on a bad day it would be called past 9 who cares, right? Nobody cares unless someone arbitrarily is putting me. Says you need to be in at eight o'clock again. To so which my my reaction was, well, why? Why do I need to be in at eight o'clock? There's no actually, I can't. I knew it was just impossible for me. You, those of us who've got kids know it's hard enough to get childcare anyway, but to get someone reliable who could fill in half hour gap. Every day, it's just not going to happen. You know, one off, you could do it. You could ask your neighbor or a friend or something, hey, would you mind dropping my kid at nursery? But you just can't do that reliably. And this was coming from somebody who had a stay at home wife who'd never had to think about childcare. Somebody else would do the ironing. It was all, it had all been managed for them. And actually, it makes me think of something that I saw in, um, I can't remember which magazine it was. It might be Forbes magazine, something in June, where it was talking about. Um, like ultra wealthy people are living like they're in the 1950s where an ultra wealthy includes people in you know really it's the top one percent earners and that's really people in the financial services sector which is where we were working at the time and what they mean is that a disproportionate number of them much higher than in the not ultra ultra wealthy population the husband works and the wife stays at home and these are the people who are making decisions about hybrid working Typically, in these kind of sectors. And the problem with that is that they haven't experienced firsthand the issues of being a working parent because they haven't had to, because they've had someone at home to do the dishes and think about the childcare and all the rest of it. And, and so they don't get how valuable it is not to, it doesn't matter. Why should it matter? whether you get in at eight o'clock or nine o'clock or 10 past nine or whatever, why should you feel like you failed before you've even got to your desk because of some random house stuff that is out of our control and that's just about life. We shouldn't feel guilty or feel bad about that. And it was that kind of a response that triggered in me and it was just not gonna happen. It was so ridiculous that I just said, no, it's not gonna happen, sorry, it's not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't happen and it wasn't gonna happen for me and it wasn't gonna happen for my team.
0: Yes, I did that. sorry, that was what was so interesting for me at the time was Jenny said no for me and my, she didn't just say no for herself, she said no for me and my team, this is not going to happen, which meant that I was a junior, <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I was a junior in the company that didn't have to come in until nine o'clock, even though other seniors did, which was um, I just think it was so obvious to me then what a stand you'd taken. And I learned so much about about the reality of like working parenthood and standing up and setting boundaries and the truth that like, I think it's so easy to just say yes out of fear. And you really said, just said no. And that no was received with, okay, well, I guess I can't make you. And so it just, it was just, there was so many lessons and brain-breaking moments from it on a personal level, level on a team level, and a boundary level, on a like, wait, does it actually matter? I don't think I would have even known to question that had you not said no. And then me and you had conversations about it afterwards where you, I remember you saying to me, like, I come to work and I work and I get more done in that time than most people. And I started looking around and I love, you know, I think it was just you, me, and then loads of guys on the sales teams, And I love all of them and we have relationships with them and friends and everything but I started to notice like oh like there is a more more of a willingness to like be on the phone or scroll or take personal calls or like just be like you know like be dilly-dallying like I can't explain I just noticed like oh Jenny does come to work and get shit done like there's no fluffiness like it's not to say that you like I said we went on walks and we did it wasn't like you were always change the desk and that's the value of everything but you just got the most important things done and delivered and
1: that to me was a huge lesson do you
0: know what you
1: know, I do remember I'm actually sitting in uh, in the offices of a uh, very nice investment consultant letting me use their office at the moment and they've got a dish of chocolate mints and do you remember one of the other things we used to do, which is like naughty? Because so it wasn't all hard work. we used to, on occasion when we had a chocolate craving. We'd go raid the, raid the cupboard and have a, help ourselves to the chocolate mints that were there for me, for the for the for our our clients. I do remember that. So we weren't all. No yeah, work and no play. We were yes. occasionally quite naughty as well. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: That was a really funny memory. And I do think we did have a lot of fun. I think we had a lot of fun, not because we didn't get things done, but because of the relationship that we built. Um, and because, I mean, for me, that's it's like I think there's a lot of things that companies can try and do to promote culture and loyalty, and, and it's like the trying is there, but the heart isn't behind it, whereas working with you, I felt like the heart was there, even if, and I don't know if you remember this, but when I was doing my CFA level two, we got, you know, everyone, so everyone, there like 10 or 12 of us that did it, and everyone failed aside from me, and so when I went to get financial support to redo it again, they basically said no, and then you sat with me and helped me build like a business case, and then they said yes to a little bit, Um, so I think, I can't remember what my point was with that now. Now I've gone off a tangent on another thing that I wanted to say. (laughs) We're going to follow the tangent. Um, because that was another thing I wanted to say. I don't know if you, oh, loyalty. That for me was like also a brain breaking moment of like, oh, this company. Like doesn't actually care about me and just sees me as a member. And that was like the start of me somewhere in my brain knowing that I was going to leave even though I've been so happy even though I had lots of friends there great boss great options great opportunities like in everything it was like oh like we weren't that big a company in terms of the London offices I think there are like 150 others but it was still like being treated as a number not being appreciated for the actual results we'd created or as I've created in that exam and being seen as like well 11 of you did it only one of you passed so we're removing that instead of You're the person that passed. How can we continue to support you?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's an interesting point about loyalty, company loyalty. And that's something I've realized as well. There is no such thing as company loyalty. Uh, It's all about the people. And people leave businesses because they leave their manager. And they join businesses because they're joining to work with someone they like or someone they've worked with before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what, that's, I think that's what I, true of certainly every, every, job change I've made and um, I think of, of yeah occasionally you get a fantastic opportunity but you won't join if you don't have the person you're going to work with you're going to work with you know unless you're unless it's a crazy life-changing money then you might think about it but as we get more senior in our careers and money is money doesn't become once you get a certain level of income money is no longer a motivator it's much more about team and about purpose so it becomes sort of irrelevant it's about it's about doing stuff that's meaningful with people that you like working with.
0: Yes, it's interesting that you say once you get a certain level of income, that happens because I think that's what we're seeing with the younger generation coming into the workforce now. They're skipping the like certain amount of money requirements and they're really
1: prioritising
0: team culture, purpose.
1: Yeah, so I think about this in terms of Maslow. You know his pyramid of hierarchical needs, which interestingly enough. Is, is still kind of like the cornerstone theory of human motivation, although it was never proven. And Maslow himself noted that it was never, there was sort of no, no strong basis for it, but it's still kind of accepted as a, as a sort of fundamental truth. And the idea is, as I'm sure most of you will, if not all of you will know, but just as a recap, you sort of got the bottom layer of the pyramid is, is all about safety. It's about physiological safety. So you think you're on, you're stranded on a desert island. Then what's the, you know, what's the most important thing is you need to build shelter. And then it's about probably about water. Then it's about food. It's about keeping yourself safe. And then it's about sort of psychological safety. And and then it's about having friends and then it's about having love. And then it's about having higher purpose. And Maslow said that the bottom layers of the pyramid were what he called sufficient. They were um, they were deficiency needs. So once you've got enough, you don't need any more. And the top layer, which is about higher purpose, that's that's a growth need. So your appetite for it is unbounded. And I think about those in terms of work and what motivates us at work. And so money and employment are kind of security needs. And once you've got a job, you know, you need a job because we all need money. Once you've got a job, you may want a better job that's got you know better prospects or whatever. But once you've got that good job and you've got enough money, the money is a safety need once you've got enough money, and I think even today's graduates with uh, wanting purpose and the rest of it, they still need money to buy a property. You know, they, they might be able to live, you They're know, rent buy a property, rent, oh, yeah, sorry, rented property, yeah, exactly. They may be, yeah, maybe exactly renting a, like living in mum and dad's house may or may not be an option, but at some point you need, you need money, right? You, we all need money. Yeah. And the basic level of need is different from one person to the next. And, but one, whatever that need is, then then you can get into the next layers and uh, which is which is all about team and purpose and and doing something that matters.
0: I love that you shared that
1: because I think
0: about mother's hierarchy and needs all the time and I've never actually spoken about it on the podcast but it's like it's definitely in the back of my head it's just such like an interesting theory um, and to play around with and very applicable to different areas and I love how yeah you yeah work. um and, and the way you viewed it and shared it there that's so interesting um so as we close off, there's two things that I would love to do. One, I would love for you to just like share with the listeners, maybe anything about wh- and what I was like, because it was when I was working under you that I was in the office six, seven days a week when I was studying. And like, oh, yes, she,
1: I remember that you were, you were crazy. You'd come in at the weekends and study. Yeah, I was ch- extraordinary. You were so driven. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, um, but obviously now I'm all about like sustainable growth, whereas then I think. I think if I wouldn't have left, then I would have burnt out for sure in a few years because of that six, seven days a week in the office till 10 p.m. studying. I have to take on more and more, even like the rounders. And I always wanted to be involved in more and more and more. Um, So any fun, any funny insights about what I was like, just to prove to them that I wasn't always this chilled. And then I also want us to talk about your book and your work and just like let people know how they can find you and um, yeah. So those are it, the two things. Okay.
1: So young Vicky, what was young Vicky like? You were amazing. You were this kind of fireball of energy, and you were very un-city. Actually, uh, you had an unconventional background. Your parents, as I recall, were both entrepreneurs, uh, and and so you hadn't come up through that kind of more conventional route. So you had and almost being in the city was an unusual thing for you so I think almost what you're doing now is more in keeping with your childhood roots and the background that you're from and the city was almost like well I'm clever so I should probably do this and you were totally focused on it and I do remember the day when you were the only person to pass and I was so proud of you because I think you're probably the only woman as well who was doing the cfa at that stage it was a bunch of blokes you and you were the one who passed and you were coming in crazy hours staying crazy nights and i remember being quite worried about you being very you were super focused on it but equally when you decided you weren't going to do it anymore it was like that you know it was like i'm going to do the next thing you were in it a hundred percent until you weren't and then you were a hundred percent into the next thing so you've had this kind of laser sharp focus and you've been quite intuitive you're a risk taker And I think that ability to take risks and to say, actually, I've, it's a rare thing. And I think it probably comes from your parents. I may be wrong, my pop psychology, but you had, you'd invested a lot. You did CFA2, but not CFA3, I think. Mm -hmm. Not many people would walk away from that. Uh, but you were prepared to. You're prepared to say, "No, this isn't right," I, I, and, and that's such a brave thing to do. And often, the really right thing to do. But we're so we're so bad as humans at saying, "Okay, I, I'm not going to, you know, throwing good money after bad. This isn't right for me. Recognizing it's not right. Recognizing that I've wasted inverted commas a lot of intellectual and time capital in this project. But I'm not going to waste any more." Mm -hmm. most people would say i've invested this much therefore i'm going to see it through to the end even if it kills me and you were very brave and very forward thinking Mm -hmm. and yeah entrepreneurial to do that so more power to your elbow i I would say yeah
0: i appreciate it yeah yeah i also because i don't just want it to be like vicky's amazing i also though remember and i don't know if you remember um you you have like a very analytical actuarial brain very good at being in the details very good at building models and spreadsheets and like I I struggle in those areas right I'm like all the ideas and like the attention to detail is one of my weaknesses um and I remember you training me on it and me continuing to like maybe not give it what it deserved or or, you know struggle with it struggle with the like patience required struggle with allowing myself to be bad at something probably I don't know if you have anything like that because I really like to give people like a full picture of I wasn't always I wasn't all amazing I'm still human and there were things I excelled in and things for sure I didn't
1: yeah I do remember that now I mean I hadn't it's not something that I'm I would have remembered unless you prompted me but you're right Uh, you could be quite sloppy I think you know quite rushed it bored you. You didn't want to do the time, and a lot of what we were doing did require high attention to detail mm-hmm. and and that kind of analytical focus. Yeah, so it wasn't your wasn't your strength. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, I'm a believer of that. Yeah, when you're young in in the early stages of your career, you know, you might have to do stuff that you're not good at and that you don't like. But actually, and one of the things I think about now is this: uh, you know, the Japanese idea of ikigai. You know, where you've got the four circles of what you what you love. What you're good at, what the world needs, and what you can get paid for, and and once you get, if you're lucky enough, you get to a certain stage in your life, you can start focusing more on that, and that's sort of what I've done. Actually, is you know what I I I did math degree and I trained as an actuary and blah blah blah, but actually where what I was doing all that time is I'm very creative, and I love taking photographs and I love writing, and I've now and I love speaking, as you can probably tell, and I've. I've able to come up with a way that I can use all of them in my my next stage career Uh, writing books that use my experience in the city and of leading and motivating teams, which is something I feel very passionate about that workplaces should be happy places that we that if we rather than focusing on are we building the best widgets or do we have the happiest clients if we focus instead on do we have the happiest most motivated employees you will get the best widgets and you will get the happiest clients and you will do so in a more sustainable way where where people are loyal to businesses loyal to companies because they're having a great time and they're doing what they love and so I want to inspire people and inspire businesses to behave more like that and I do that via speaking via my experience also using photographs and using the written word, and I've written a couple of books on this, and I consult on it, and I've got, uh, and I, I speak at client events, and I speak in the in-house training courses on it, and it's great. I'm trying to change the world. Um, one business at a time. And I'm also doing work at business schools as well. Well, I've I've, I've done some lecturing at King's Business School on their mini MBA programme, because I think it's one thing, one thing is to go into businesses where you've got dysfunctionality, but wouldn't it be great if we don't even get to there? If we go back to people earlier stage in their career to help them understand where things can go wrong in managing and leading teams and how we can focus more on motivating people and... And, and end up with businesses which are more functional without them having to go through the period of terrible management. Although actually you, you get your best life lessons from adversity, I think.
0: Yes. I mean, there's so many amazing points that you shared there. I just love for everyone listening, the diversity that you've created in your experience and in your career and how you've <laughs> It's like... It's like that you've brought in the things that you enjoy and the things that you're good at together. And I think so often we do think or we have been told that one has to come at the cost of the other. Or or I think part of, you know, you said earlier about being a grown up and being an adult, and you know, what does it mean to grow up? And I guess I'm growing up now. Um, And I think for me, what I thought it meant as a grown up and even becoming a mum, like me and Kitty spoke about it the other day was like, Oh, I have to be super serious now. And now I can't step outside the lines and play outside the lines. And I have to always be good, always be on because like I'm a mother. And if he needs anything at any point in time, even if I'm on the other side of the world, I better be available and sober, whatever to come home versus like, Oh, we still get to be like human first. Um, So I love that you've had that realization and not just had the realization, which I think maybe many of us do, but implemented
1: on it yeah yeah and it's taken a while and taken a lot of thought and taken a lot of bravery because you you know you do take financial risks but it's worth it I think in terms of happiness and back to Maslow it's not about once you get to a certain stage in your life money is no longer a motivator money is a demotivator In that if you're not paid fairly enough for what you do It's demotivating if you find that you're paid less than the the guy who's doing the same job or even doing a more junior job. It's hugely demotivating. But more money doesn't do it for you once you get to a certain level of income. And that's the realisation that chasing after more money when it doesn't make you happy or doesn't make you feel satisfied is not not the pathway to enlightenment. Yeah, which I think is so interesting, actually, for
0: like a lot of entrepreneurs actually also listen to this podcast. And I do think entrepreneurs can still get caught in that trap of like when I've made six figures, when I've made multiple six figures, when I've made seven figures like then. But it's actually like I would I encourage anyone listening who's accidentally in that trap to just pause and be like, if you set the goal of like 50K, when you achieved it, did you actually feel better? Did you actually feel better at six figures? Did you actually feel better because I think like the messaging for entrepreneurship is still very much that more money is more, more money is better. Um, and I think we still fall into that trap, but I kind of agree with you. Like, I just don't think it's true. Um, even f- for me and my business now, as you know, like there's one pocket in the business, it's like growing that I've invested in and then we're moving to a different side and that willingness to earn less because I mean, I loved when you said, I want to change the world because as my listeners know, I also want to change the world. And I think there's so many people listening that want to change the world and to just hear two powerful examples of people doing it in different ways, in non-conventional ways with different, you know, resources and plans and visions and whatever. Like,
1: I think, I think it's probably very powerful to hear so thank you for being here and sharing I hope so thank you for inviting me it's always lovely to chat to you Vicky always
0: and we're going to link up to your books is it one or two books now I can't
1: remember it's two books on motivation one of them is called on motivation building better workplace cultures the other one's called on motivation purpose and hybrid working and I'm working on the third at the moment actually which is I'm expecting to come out sometime in November Amazing. So we will link to the two books that you've got in the
0: show notes. so You guys can go and buy one of Jenny's books or both of them. And then if you follow her on Amazon, wherever it is, you'll be notified when her third book comes out. Um, Just thank you for being. I just feel very lucky to have got exposed to such a strong, powerful, intelligent, thoughtful, creative, open, honest, vulnerable mentor. Uh, I honestly think working with you shifted the trajectory of my life and my career and just gave me so much permission um, very early on in my career to trust myself and maybe do what I wanted instead of what
1: maybe other people wanted for me and forever grateful to you so thank you. Thank you Vicky that's an amazing thing to say thank you I really appreciate that. I appreciate you. All
0: right, lovely listeners.
1: Lovely to speak with you all. Thanks for
0: tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this very special episode and a bit of an insight and sneak peek into past <laughs> Bye everyone. Hey, if you want to get five hours a week back minimum for life, then I want to invite you to join Time Hackers. It's this podcast on speed where you'll get access to time hacking tools not shared on the podcast. You'll get access to my proven process for hacking your time to get five hours back every week at least. It's also my favorite place to hang out and will be yours too as you connect with other time hackers where you'll get celebrated, supported and coached of course. You are a time hacker. This is where you belong. Head to vickiluise.com forward slash group. I can't wait to see you there.